So if you are following this in your Bibles, we're in Luke's Gospel and, um, okay. Luke's Gospel at chapter 5, beginning of chapter 5, uh, on our journey through Luke's Gospel under the general heading of Make Life the Mission. We're looking at the example and the instruction that Jesus gives us, uh, in order to try and understand what God expects from us, from our lives, what He expects in terms of way of the way we should behave, the things we should be engaging in, the stuff that we should be uh, committed to, and the stuff that we should kind of push aside. And we come to a very interesting story now in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1, Luke 5 verse 1, and it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's an incredible story, isn't it? Um, absolutely brilliant. And, and there are some big lessons for us to learn from the, the stuff that Luke is writing about here. Let me pick up um, to get us into this at... Uh, verse 4 because there's there's a massive lesson a massive challenge to us here Uh, verse 4 it says this and when he'd finished speaking he said to Simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and Simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word I will let down the nets now Jesus uh, is out doing business as usual and a great crowd kind of comes together and uh, he he's Uh, starting to preach to them, but realizes that because of the size of the crowd, he needs to do something a little different uh, by way of um, where he is in order to to present things and for people to hear them clearly. So he sees these boats that are pulled up on the shore, the fishermen's boats. The fishermen have got out of them. Um, It's the end of their uh, day. It's it's probably the beginning of Jesus' day, but it's the end of their day and so their, or their night because they'll have been fishing all night. And they've got their nets out and they're washing the nets and the boats are pulled up on the shore. So Jesus Jesus jumps into one of the boats and says, um, can you, you know, push me out a little bit so that I can address these people? Which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because they can't crowd in on him too much if he's in a boat out a little bit, you know, from the, from the shore. And they all get a chance to both see him and hear him as he teaches. So Peter has got um, the rabbi in his boat. And uh, the rabbi delivers his message to the people. And then he says to Peter, okay, we're going to push out. Uh, into the sea a bit here and we're going to drop the nets down and uh, Peter's reaction is kind of the reaction that most of us have when Jesus asks us to do something 
his reaction is kind of, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Listen, you rabbi, me fisherman. Okay. We've been up all night fishing and we haven't caught a single thing. Now I know fishing. I have been a fisherman since I was young. I know fishing so well that I have built up a business. Me and my two partners here, we've built up a successful fishing business. We know how fishing works. We know when to go out. We know when to come in. We know where to drop the nets. We know how long to wait. We know how many fish we can expect. We know all of that stuff because we are fishermen. That's what we do. That's what we know. And we're good at this. We make a living at this. But actually, they hadn't caught anything all night. And Jesus says to them, Okay, let's, we're going to try this again. <laughs> now listen, I, I know that for many of us, and um, I, I want you to see this particularly in context, that Jesus is about to call these guys to go out and preach the gospel. That's the context of it. That having seen the miracle and having recognized at least something of who Jesus is, he calls them to go out and be fishers of men. Yes? Okay, so just, I just want that in the back of your mind because it's the same call for us. But see, here is the thing. And you can apply this perhaps to a lot of areas of your life that actually we do stuff and actually we're quite good at stuff. We know what we're doing. We've had the training. We've got the experience. We've been doing this for years. But for some reason, it's proved unfruitful. Are you with me? So for some of us, perhaps there are things in our walk with God that over the years we've worked on, we, we have tried to shape, you know, we have given time to, we've given commitment to, but somehow it's not quite been fruitful in the way we would have liked it to have been fruitful. Maybe for some of us, and I'm guessing probably for a lot of us, you know, we have heard message after message about how we must be reaching out to people around us and how we must be sharing the gospel with people, how we must be talking and praying and all of those sorts of things. And maybe we've tried some of those things. Maybe we've tried them a lot. Maybe we've done them a long time. And maybe it's not been very fruitful. Maybe it's been difficult. Maybe we've come home at the end of a long, hard night with empty nets. And you're not going to feel great about that, are you? Because, you know, the idea was to catch fish and you've come home without any. The idea was to be fruitful and actually all you have is a sense of barrenness because nothing happened. And maybe, you know, I don't know, I'm kind of reading into this a little bit so don't hear this as scripture, but maybe there was a couple of boats down the shore a bit and maybe they had a good night's catch. Maybe they came across a, you know, a, um, a, what do they call them, a shoal, a fish, yeah? Um, and uh, maybe they were able to tap into that maybe they've come home with their nets full and you're pulling your boat into shore and your boat's empty there's no fish you know how that feels don't you don't you <laughs> that some, sometimes it seems like everything is against you sometimes it feels like everything that you have tried to do has failed even though you've kind of known in your heart that you've done the right thing even though sometimes you've, you've known that you know the way you've done it has been the right way to do it and you've been sensitive and you've been careful and you've done it the way you were trained and you've done everything you've ticked all the boxes and it didn't work and you just kind of feel oh for goodness sake maybe I'll go to uh, carpentry instead of fishing uh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's that kind of barrenness, that kind of emptiness, when you, particularly if you've done something for a long time and, uh, and it just feels empty. And then Jesus turns up 
and he says okay let's have another go and you are like brimming with enthusiasm not you're kind of well didn't we try this already didn't we do this already? We, we, you know, me, fisherman, you, rabbi, I've been out all night. I know what I'm doing here. I know how this thing goes. I've been on the boat all night fishing, and there's no fish. But, you know, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And here's the real kicker. Jesus is always right. I mean, that's totally annoying, but it's true. Jesus is always right. And when he says do something, if you do it, there's going to be a result. When he says to them, go and, and uh, you know, let's get out there. We're going to go out into the deep again. We're going to throw the nets down again. Peter's response is, he's not disrespectful, but he is kind of, you know, well, we've been doing that all night. You know, we've already done that. But because you say so, and that's the good thing, isn't it? Because you say so, we'll try it again. I want you to know today that in all sorts of areas in your life, and, and you need to hear the voice of God for yourself in this, Jesus is saying to many of us today, it's time to have another go. Let's do this again. Let's get out there into that place where you felt like a failure. Let's get out there into that place which um, you've come away from feeling barren feeling empty, feeling let down, feeling like this just hasn't worked, feeling that even though I was prepared and ready and knew what I was doing and, and ready for all of this, I've come back with an empty boat. Jesus says to us, okay, it's time to go again. It's time to have another go. Now the response of Peter is, I don't get this, but all right, because you say so, I'm going to do this. Why? Well, because Jesus is already right. Jesus understands. Jesus knows what it's like. And he's always right. Are you with me? And the result of this obedience, and, and the result of obedience is always fruitfulness. Now, let me just say, it's not necessarily fruitfulness in the next minute, like it was on this occasion, Sometimes fruitfulness takes a few years to come out. But obedience always brings out fruitfulness. If you do what Jesus tells you to do, there will be fruit. Sometimes you've got to hang in there and press on and push forward and, and fight and grapple with it. But if you're doing what Jesus has told you to do, there will be fruit. I could tell you stories from all over the world of um, you know, stories that I have heard firsthand from uh, pastors in churches who have, uh, you know, they've, they've gone somewhere with a dream, with a vision, with a call of God, with, you know, with instruction they have believed from Jesus to go and, and build a church and to do something sig significant. And have toiled for years and years and years and years and, and just managed to gather just a small group of people together and battled and battled to get that small group of people. And it's felt like an eternity. They've done it for years and years. And then all of a sudden, there is this fruitfulness that just falls upon them and the church just explodes. I, I, I've heard story after story like this. Because if you are obedient, it will lead to fruitfulness. Hello? If you are obedient in, uh, you know, and disciplined in coming to God, 
daily and praying to him and engaging with his word and finding out more about him. You might find it hard going. It might be a battle. Listen, it is for me. I'm supposed to be the professional at this, right? (laughs) It is for me. It's a battle. It's hard work. There are so many things that would distract me and so many things that would, you know, make me want to just, I'll say I'll do it later in the day or I'll I'll do this tomorrow because it's going to be easier. And it never is easier. It's always a battle. But the discipline brings fruitfulness. If I do what Jesus calls me to do, sooner or later, I am going to be fruitful. And it might be a battle for a while. It might be a struggle. But somewhere down this line of being obedient, I know that the fruitfulness is going to kick in and everything is going to change. Are you with me? And God calls us to all sorts of things. Now, the call on your life is different to the call on my life. But the thing that is the same for all of us is that we are here to take part in building the kingdom of God. We are here to take part in sharing the gospel with the people who are around us. It's inescapable. If you read your Bible and if you read it properly, it's inescapable. You've probably got to be careful which Bible you choose to read these days. Um, Neil sent me an interesting article this week from uh, a guy doing a review of, I haven't actually come across it, but it's supposed to be a new translation. Clearly it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but it's a little bit kind of new agey and on the edge of things and not the sort of thing I would encourage anybody to read particularly. The guy writing the article said that it's a favourite with Pentecostals. It's not a favourite with us. Okay? He clearly doesn't know Pentecostals. Okay? It's not a favourite with us. Uh, you've got to be careful you know, where, where you get your reading materials from. You've got to have a little bit of wisdom with that. But if you continue to read them, you will see, you'll not only start to get fruit from it, but you will see that God calls you to something. He didn't save you just so that you could sit back in your seat and enjoy your salvation. Now, you can choose to do that, and God will still love you. That's wonderful, isn't it? You know, you are saved by the grace of God, simply because He loves you, and for no other reason. And there's nothing that you can do, because there is no other reason, to change that. Okay, He will continue to love you and he will continue to pour his grace out on you. And if you choose to, to get saved, to, to come into that relationship with God and then just sit back in your seat and enjoy it, you can do that. But God calls you to more than that. He saved you for something. He saved you from something and he saved you for something. And there is a call on each of our lives to engage with the purposes of God. And it's a continual call. That if that, if we have tried to engage with these things in the past and they've not worked, Jesus says, well, let's put the nets down another time. Let's try it again. But we've tried this all night, Lord. It's been a long, hard night. Yes, I know. But this is the call on your life. Let's try it again. Let's go again. Are you with me? Then at verse 6 it says, When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. You know, when, when, when the fruitfulness does hit, we're going to need help. <laughs> you know, I said something last week about um, choosing who you take the journey with. Uh, that actually we are not built to do life alone we're not built to journey alone but it's important that we have people around us and it's important that we choose the right people to be around us people who will aid us in our journey encourage us in our journey and not people who will distract us and undermine us are you with me okay so uh 
why is that? Well, first of all, because if you try and do it on your own, you won't make it. That's why God's wonderful plan for all of this is called the church. The church is not a building, it's people gathered together to do exactly that, to journey together, to encourage one another, to support one another, so that we can become everything that God created us to be. And we need one another. We need one another to make the journey, and we will need one another when the fruitfulness starts to kick in. Uh, Peter had to call his partners, and they had to get their boats out in a hurry, because there were too many fish for them to get into the boat. You know, if this is a picture of the church, what a, what a glorious image. <laughs> that actually, we're so full here, that we're having ten services every Sunday and we're still full. And we're having to ring up the other churches in Stapleford and say, can you take some of these people? There are far too many. Can we put some in your boat? Because our boat is full. Wouldn't that be glorious? But see, that, this is wonderful imagery and that's what Jesus wants us to see. That God's plan is not just for a few people in Stapleford or Brancourt or Ilkeston or Long Eaton or wherever we've come from this morning. It's not just for a few. You know, I, I've shared this with some of you before and it's worth sharing again that when I first came here, I, I used to pray over Stapleford and I used to talk to God about the church and, and I had this thing in my mind that if, that if we as a church could just impact 10% of this community... If we could just impact 10% of this community, wouldn't that be fantastic? And one day God said to me, clear as a bell, he said, what about the other 16,000 people who live in Stapleford? What about them? Your vision is too small. You, know, you limit yourself. Because the vision that, that Jesus hangs out before us here, that Luke records so wonderfully in his gospel, is, is something which is overflowing, that there isn't enough room. That when the fruitfulness kicks in, we need help. When the fruitfulness kicks in, you are all promoted to house group leader because we won't have enough. You're all promoted to assistant pastors because we won't have enough. You can all come and uh, we'll see if we can get a few extra seats in my office. We'll have to share. But I, I believe, because it's in the Bible, and because I understand what I'm reading, you know, my years in Bible college were supposed to help me to do that, and I believe I am understanding what I'm reading. The plan of God is that this fruitfulness will come. That as we are obedient, and as we follow what He has told us to do, and as we engage with the things that He calls us to, we will need other boats. The fruitfulness will come. But to get to that place, you and I have got to be obedient. Yes? And uh, having been at this place a few times before, let me just say this. I'll give it a try is not an appropriate response. I'll give it a try just basically consigns us to failure because all we're saying is, well, all right, I'll go and have a go at this, but at the first sign of a problem or the first sign it's not working out, I'm going to pack it in and I can say I gave it a try because I did give it a try, but that'll be that. Can you imagine if that was Jesus' attitude? 
Oh, crucifixion. Yeah, cross. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll give it a try. And then as they're tying him to the post and they start whipping him and the the skin starts falling from his back as the the Roman whip whip digs into it, that he puts a hand up and says, enough now, I gave it a try. Enough now. I don't want, I don't want, I'm not trying to put pressure on you here. I don't want you to feel guilty, right? I don't want you to feel in any sense um, manipulated or pushed around or bullied into any of this because, listen, if your heart's not there, it's not going to be there. But get this, I'll give it a try is not an appropriate response. If we are going to do this, we've got to be all out for it. It's got to be 100%. It's got to be all or nothing. It really has because that's the only way that it works. That is the only way that it works. And, and it costs. You know, there's always a cost. Um, I was thinking this morning, just as I was getting myself ready, this is an Olympic year. And in the summer, and golf is returning to the Olympics. Who'd have thought? Okay? I wasn't selected. You'll not be surprised <laughs> to hear. But I'm hopeful for next time. But this morning... All around the country, in fact, all around the world, in the early hours, when we were still comfortable in our beds, thinking it's Sunday, I don't have to get up so early, there will have been hundreds and thousands of sports women and men, athletes, who will have gone out of bed and will be putting themselves through all sorts of punishing regimes to get their bodies and their skills in shape ready for the Olympics, because they're determined to win. They will give their lives to this. Seriously. Now, I know a little bit about that. When I I was younger, um, I was a a cyclist, and I did quite well at it, and I actually got invited once to an Olympic trial, and uh, didn't make the team, but, you know, to have got that far, I was quite impressed with myself. But I want to tell you something. You've got to give your life to it. I had to work at the time. I I had a job, and um, so I used to get up at 5.30 in the morning, and to build my stamina, I would go for a cross-country run, an eight-mile cross-country run. Okay. Then I would go home, and I would have breakfast, and I would um, have a bath, because we didn't have showers in those days. And I would get on my bike and ride the seven miles to the place where I worked. Okay. I used to, uh, on my way to work, have races with people on mopeds, you know, because that was fun, and because I usually won. Um, but they were only mopeds. And then I would do a day's work, and then I would come home, and I would have something to eat, and I would be out on the bike for three or four hours every night. Every weekend, um, on a Saturday, I would be riding a 100-plus miles on the bike just to make sure that my legs were, were kind of tuned in and doing the right things, and I'm building the whole, you know, the muscle memory and everything else. And then, of course, you've got to think about what you eat. You know, I used to drive my mum nuts because she'd make a really lovely dinner and I would say, I can't eat it because it's not good for where I want to be. It's not going to take me to the place I want to be in. It, it consumed my life. My um, bedroom was filled with cycling magazines. Uh, if ever I got to do anything that wasn't cycling, I'd sit and talk to people about cycling. It consumed my life. But that was the only way I was going to get to where I wanted to be. And if we want this, and I really hope we do, if we want this, 
there is a, a sense in which it must consume our lives. Now, I don't mean that, you know, you all need to go to work tomorrow and hand your resignations in and move into my office. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Uh, so don't think of doing that while I'm away so I come back to a nice surprise. That's not what I'm saying. But this call on our lives must take a higher priority. Now I understand, and Jesus understands, of course he does, that we've got bills to pay because we need to live somewhere, we need to eat, so we've got to have a job, we've got to earn money, we've got to take care of those things, we've got families to think about, and that takes time. Yes? All of those things. Jesus understands those things. And yet, he still says to us, it's time to have another go. It's time to take the boat out and drop the net again. We can't afford to put it on the back burner. We can't afford to treat it as a bolt-on in our lives. But that actually, the gospel must take some priority. And if it doesn't, then this time next year, we'll be sitting looking at the same faces. Maybe one or two will have moved on and maybe one or two new faces will have appeared. But the solution to the building of the kingdom of God is the people of God rising up to the things that they're called to. And we can do all this wonderful stuff that we do here, you know, with the cafe and the soft play and the food bank and the clothes bank and the job center and uh, all the different clubs and activities we do for that wide age range and everything else that goes on. We can be here and in and out and talking to people and everything else. But if you don't get out of your seat and do something, we stay where we are. Hello? Because I can spend my life fixing the holes in the nets. I can spend my life scraping all the rubbish off the bottom of the boat and making sure it's nice and sleek in the water and fixing any holes in it so that it doesn't sink. But if we don't all go fishing, we don't catch any fish. Hello? If we don't all go fishing, we don't catch any fish. And one of the things that, that, that constantly bothers me about all of this is the way that some of us look at this and think of it as um, a pressure, as a load, as, you know... When I look at this and when I think about this, honestly, I think, what an incredible privilege. What an incredible privilege that the Lord of the universe would allow me to be involved in building his kingdom. What a wonderful thing that I would get to sit with somebody and lead them to Jesus. Tash doesn't know this, but um, when Tash and I, I'm sure she won't mind, and if she does mind, she'll get me back afterwards. We sat in the cafe, we had a conversation, we prayed together, I introduced her to Jesus. What she doesn't know is I went back to my office afterwards and sobbed for about an hour because it was so wonderful. There, there is nothing, I want to tell you, there is nothing that compares in this world to leading somebody to Jesus and seeing their life changed. What an incredible privilege. What a wonderful thing that you and I, filled with the Holy Spirit, can lay hands on sick people and see them recover. You say, well, I haven't seen any sick people recover. Well, how many sick people did you pray for? 
Are you getting the message? This is an incredible privilege that Jesus includes us in and that he equips us for, that he sends the Holy Spirit to help us, that he unleashes his power in our lives so that it can be unleashed in the power of others, in the, in the lives of others. It's incredible. And you and I get to be a part of it. When Simon begins to understand what's going on, there is a reaction. And it's a perfect reaction. The first thing that hits Simon is this. I am a sinful man. I do not deserve to be in your presence. Please, go away from me. I really do not deserve this. And you know what? That's absolutely true. He didn't deserve it and we don't deserve it. But such is the love and the grace of God that he is determined (laughs) to find his way into our lives and show us how much he loves us. The second thing is this. That it's not just this um, great catch of fish. It's not just this wonderful fruitfulness that comes. But he actually becomes aware of who Jesus is. And he falls to his knees in front of Jesus as an act of worship, as an act of submission. Now, you know, in that moment, his only thought is, please leave me because I'm sinful. But actually, he, he doesn't stand at a distance and say, please go away. He gets down on his knees in front of Jesus because he, he has had a revelation that there is something here, that this is not just some ordinary man that there is something different here, that there is something incredible here. And look at all these fish. Their mates down the shore will have been blessed, won't they? Because it says that they left everything to follow Jesus. So who got the fish? Well, I bet their mates down the road came and got them. They would have been quite happy. But here is the thing. Having had that revelation, having had that experience, having had that revelation, having had that blessing... Um, having heard the word of Jesus, what do they do? They sit in the manar about it and think, well, I don't know that I'm really built for any of this. Um, I've not been to Bible college. Um, I, I tried sharing my faith with somebody once and they didn't like it. So uh, I've not done that since. Um, you know, I invited somebody to church once and they said no. So I won't be doing that again. Now, this is what it says. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. They just had the biggest catch in the history of Peter and Mate's limited fisheries. They just had the biggest catch in their history. And they walk away from the lot, from everything to follow Jesus they pull their boats in onto the shore they don't even stop to clean up or clear up they pull their boats in to the shore and they get on with following Jesus the Greek word there um, aphiemi which means to abandon it says they left everything it means to abandon, to forsake to lay aside, to leave, to let alone to let go, to omit, to put away to suffer, to yield up Do you get the picture? They abandoned everything because they realized who Jesus was. 
Now there's a challenge. <laughs> I mean, what did you abandon? Well, I give up my Sunday morning. I give up my Thursday evening. I, I come once a month on a Saturday to help out, you know, with the community cinema. Well, listen, that's great. Um, I really don't mean to knock that. But if that's all it is, you've kind of missed it. If abandonment means that you've picked and you've chosen which bits you do and which bits you don't do, you've missed the point. Abandonment means I give everything. It means I follow no matter what the cost. It means that everything becomes secondary to following him. That's what abandonment means. And that comes at a price. <laughs> they left everything and followed Jesus. And you know, Jesus picks his team, he picks his, his, uh, you know, his core team, his 12 disciples, and um, we know what happened to Judas. But every one of those apostles, except John, met with a very difficult and horrible death in their service of Jesus. They gave everything. I think John was the only one who actually got to die of old age. But even in his old age was following Jesus. They used to carry him into church in Ephesus, you know, what, what was left of his aging body on a, on a bed, on a mat, and bring him into the meetings. And they'd ask him what he'd got to say. And the answer was, this, is, I, this was in a history book. I don't know how verifiable this is. But according to the history book, they used to ask him what he'd got to say about anything. And you know what? He, the one phrase he would always come out with was, love one another. That's brilliant, isn't it? But right up to the point that he's old and infirm and lying on the mat, he's still preaching the gospel. Because all those years back, he had decided he would follow. All those years back, he abandoned whatever it is he was doing and decided he would follow Jesus. And I know, I get it, that our lives do not look the same. I get it that we live in a different day and a different culture with all sorts of different pressures and all sorts of stuff going on, but we still have to abandon our lives to Jesus. Hello? That's the call. And no, it doesn't mean you've got to give your job up. And no, it doesn't mean you have to stop thinking about your family. Those things are important. But we need to live those and uh, we need to do those things in context of living our lives out in such a way that we are abandoned to Jesus. Because listen, Jesus wants you to pay your bills. Jesus wants you to love your family. Jesus wants your children to grow up strong and healthy because their parents have been in their lives and invested in them and looked after them and nurtured them and brought them up. Jesus wants all of those things. But he wants you to be surrendered in such a way that when he says to you, it's time to drop the net down again, that you get a hold of that net and you push the boat out and you go fishing. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. Have I said enough? <laughs> Who said more than enough? <laughs> Listen, folks, this is the Bible. This is our calling to drop everything and follow him. And then let him tell you which things to pick up again. That's not a bad idea, is it? 
But if we want to be happy in our lives, if we want to be fruitful in our lives, and if we want to go into the next life feeling like we've done something significant and we've achieved something and stand before the throne of grace and hold our head high, it's not about how many people got saved. It's not about how many people got healed. It's whether or not you rose up to the challenge. It's not about whether you rose up to it well and became a superstar. It's about whether you rose up to it. God called some of us to be fishers and, and to bring in hundreds and thousands of fish. God called some of us and it might just be two or three fish. Are you with me? But we've got to be fishing. We've got to hear the call. We've got to abandon ourselves to what Jesus has for us and let him get our lives in order and let him start working that fruitfulness through us. Okay. I'm going to pray. So let's stand. Jesus, I just want to reflect again that this is such an incredible privilege that you would include us in the work of building the kingdom that you would call such as us to represent you, to speak on behalf of you that you would call people like us to draw others into that relationship with you what a great privilege and we thank you for that and I pray that you would help us Lord, that you would inspire us that there would be, Jesus, something from this message today that would be an inspiration and not a pressure that would draw us and not drag us uh, into your presence in such a way that we can see afresh just who you are and hear afresh the call, the sound of your voice calling us out into your purposes. I pray, Lord, that as you touch our lives, that as you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that you would cause something to just rise up in us, that we can't hold ourselves back, that, that there would be an enthusiasm that would rise up about the gospel and the things of the kingdom that you would help us Lord because we need help and I pray that as we seek to engage uh, with, with your purposes as we seek to engage more with your word and with one another that you would help us that you would guide us that you would give us wisdom that you would give us all that we need Lord to be all that you're calling us to be because we want to see you glorified because we want to see people coming to know you. And now I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. That he would cause his face to shine upon you. That you would know that he is there because you feel the warmth of his presence. that you would know that his hand is upon your life that he will not leave you or forsake you but that he will guide you as, as often as you will turn to him he will speak to you and help you that you would be filled with the wonderful supernatural peace of the living God that nothing would rattle your cage that nothing would shake your foundation because your feet are on solid rock and your heart is filled with his peace and I pray that wherever you go and whatever you're doing over this next week, you would be a blessing.
that you would carry something good into the lives of others and that where there is opportunity you would mention the name of Jesus to the glory of God. Amen.